Good morning. My name is Adam. If I haven't had a chance to meet you yet, I would love to do that soon uh, because it's a privilege to be here with you guys on a Sunday morning. And I want to say welcome back to church if you've been here before or welcome to church if you've never been here before. But I do want you to know when we say the word church, we're not talking about a building, uh, even though we're in a school this morning. Uh, that's never what it's been about. It's not about a building where we sing songs and somebody gets up and talks to you about what the Bible says. Church, the original intent of church was and always has been about a movement of people who came together because God was doing something so powerful in their lives that it was changing who they were and what they were all about. And so that's what the church is. It's a group of people that have been transformed by God and filled with His Spirit. And that's what we see in the book of Acts. The book of Acts is the description of the church as it began. And it's a description of this movement of people. It's not a description of a building where people went to sing songs, although they did gather together in buildings and in houses and that sort of thing. But it was always about the people. And that was true then in the book of Acts, and it's still true today. Because the awesome thing that amazes me as I read Acts is that when we look at Acts, the same God that was moving in the book of Acts is the same God that's still moving today. The same Holy Spirit that was moving in people's lives is still the same Holy Spirit on the other side of the planet 2,000 years later that's still moving in us today. So it's still about the church, which today is you and I, and it's an honor to be in a place where we can see God move in our lives, and, and we don't take that lightly. So as we look at the book of Acts, and we look at this early church, we have to see that the church is just absolutely booming, right? I mean, they, they weren't able to get enough chairs wherever they were. It was people sitting everywhere. It was just a movement that was expanding so rapidly that it was beyond anything that they could really comprehend. And it, it wasn't because of marketing. It wasn't because of great lights or a great singer or a great speaker. It wasn't because of anything that was happening on social media. It was simply because the Spirit of God was changing people's lives. And then they were telling other people, hey, this is what's happened in my life. And people could see that they were changed. And that was the very challenge that was given to us in Acts chapter 1. Simply go and be my witnesses in Jerusalem. And that's as far as we've gotten so far. He also says Sumeria, Judea, and to the ends of the earth. So Jesus tells us, I want you to go and simply tell people what God has done in your life. Simply be a witness to tell people what you've experienced. Tell others about it. And it starts in Jerusalem. So that's where we pick up in Acts chapter 6. We see a group of people who are loving God and loving others. It's people who are caring for each other. As we've seen in the previous few chapters, there are people who are giving radically. We see in the chapters it says people sold everything they had and they brought it together for the church so that they could take care of one another and serve one another. It's people who are risking freedom. There have been people who have already been arrested and scolded for what they're doing in Jesus' name, but yet still people are following after God. And to do this, that meant it probably would cost some of them their freedom. It meant it probably cost some of them their jobs. It meant it probably cost some of them relationships that they've had for a long, a long time with friends or with family who said, if you're going to follow after this Jesus guy, I don't want any part of you. But yet there was this massive growing number of people who started following after God. 
And it wasn't just a particular group of people. It was people from all different backgrounds. You had rich people and you had poor people. You had young people. You had older people. You had people who were locals and you had people who were foreigners. All different groups of people who were coming together, praying for one another, worshiping together, sharing meals, sharing stories, sharing worship together. And they're all part of this radical movement. Like I said before, some of them were selling everything that they had just to make it happen. And I can remember reading that early in my faith and thinking, man, that kind of sounds like communism, right? I mean, sell everything that you have and give to everybody else. But I do want to encourage you here, just in case you've been tripped up on that as you read it like I was uh, in my early years of reading it, there's a difference. Because this is not the government saying, we're going to take everything that you have and then distribute as we see fit and keep what we want. This is people acting out of love, saying, I want to take care of you. I want to help you. We're one big family that's serving God together. So it's not communism. It's a similar sounding word, but not quite the same. Communism. Not communism, all right? So hear me on that. Communism. In other words, we've got a translation for this in our culture today that uh, makes it make a lot more sense, but it's not even a translation in English. It's a translation in Spanish, but every one of you will understand it. It's simply this, mi casa su casa, right? What I have is yours. And if I can help you, I want to help you because we have found something. We have discovered something together that is so powerful that I look at us as one family of God. So that's how the early church is starting here with, with this concept of if I can help you, if you're in need, I want to be able to help you. We've got just a small taste of this. We went to, uh, we've been to Rockport a few times helping people out, which is really just down the road. But these are people that have lost everything. And just side announcement, we're going to be going once a month, first Saturday out of each month. So we'll go back again in October. But this is just, and, and I love the last time we showed up, we we're going to help a family almost two months later that had had no help so far. But when we showed up, there were two other churches that had just showed up that day, one from the valley and one from up in Dallas. And it's just the people of God coming together saying, what can we do to help? And we're helping one another. So that's kind of a similar concept to what's happening here in the book of Acts, this mikasa sukasa kind of concept where they're just in this together. And as we start the book of Acts, we notice that uh, God understands mathematics and we see him going through mathematics. In uh, Acts chapter 2, it says that the Lord added to their number daily. So God understands addition. We also see that the church multiplied, right? There were these events happening and it said, and 2,000 believers were added. 5,000 believers were added. So we're not just talking addition. We're talking God understands multiplication, the church growing by multiples. And we saw last week, if you weren't here last week, Stephen talked about this story about Ananias and Sapphira who were two people who said, yeah, we want to sell everything too. And we're going to tell them we sold everything, but we're going to keep a little bit for ourselves. And they drop dead when they they go in and they lie to the Holy Spirit and they drop dead right on the spot. So if you're thinking, whoa, 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 I need more explanation on that. I'm not going to go back and explain it, but Stephen did a great job last week. So I encourage you, go back and listen to that podcast and get a little more explanation on that. So we can see God understands addition. God understands multiplication. And even God understands subtraction as he had to pull a couple of people out of the church. But as we look at chapter 6 today, 
we are on the verge of also seeing division within the church. And division is not something that God wants or likes. As a matter of fact, we can look at Scripture and see that that is the enemy's plan. You see, if the enemy can divide us one against each other, then all of a sudden the church loses its influence and loses its power and loses its message. Right? They say, the, the Word of God says that they will know you are His disciples by your love for one another. But if we are divided, we lose our message. And you can even look at this in today's culture. And you can see how Christians don't get along with one another in, in many occasions. Because we have different views or whatever. And it deludes our whole message to the world when we are divided. But as we look at Acts chapter 6 today. We are going to see that we are on the cusp of the very first church being split in two and divided. Everything's been going good for the church. People have been added and miracles have been happening. And lives are being changed and needs are being met. And everything is going great. And God doesn't want to divide the church. But today we're about to hit a snag. Have you ever been at that place in your life where you feel like, man, everything's really going good, right? I just got a raise. My wife keeps smiling at me. My, my kids are doing everything I ask them to do. And you just kind of brace yourself because you think, oh, my goodness, is the bottom about to fall out of this thing because everything's going so good. Well, in the early church, despite some of the things that were going on, the church was going really good. There's been these unexplainable moves of the Holy Spirit, right? Things that defy logic and explanation, but God is moving in a powerful way. There were even people that were arrested, like we mentioned earlier, but that wasn't a snag for the church. There were even two people last week that dropped dead, but that wasn't a snag for the early church either. So we've got these unexplainable movements. We've got people who've been arrested. We've got people who have dropped dead, but none of these things were slowing down the church, yet today we're going to face a snag. And it wasn't from people who were outside the church that were persecuting, persecuting the church. It was from within the church itself. All of these things couldn't slow down the work of the church. Yet something happening within the church had potential to demolish everything. So go ahead and look at the person next to you. Say, I know I shouldn't have sat next to you because it was those people who they were sitting next to that held the very potential to throw a wrench in everything. So let's look at this. First part of Acts chapter 6 verse 1. It says, but as the believers rapidly multiplied, there were rumblings of discontent rumblings. Let's get ready to rumble, right? There were these rumblings, right? They probably started kind of quiet and got a little bit louder. Some translations say murmurs. Either way, and I think I'm getting my English terms right here. I could call either one of these an onomatopoeia, right? One of those words that sounds like, you know, it gives you the feeling of what it's really like, the rumbling or, or the murmur. You know, you can just kind of picture that spreading through the crowd, like a little bit of a hum that was going through the crowd. There were rumblings of discontent. And again, it didn't come from the Pharisees and the Sadducees, the people that wanted to arrest them or kill them. 
It came from the people who were within the church. Right? I, I can see this right now. It, it kind of starts just as something that, that bugs you. It kind of makes you roll your eyes or shake your head. And then it goes to kind of one of those mental conversations that you're having with yourself or with somebody else. And then maybe it moves from a mental conversation to you talking with somebody else. And, yeah, man, you know what? This really bugs me. And you start having this, this little conversation. And what was once just maybe a difference in opinion, a difference in style. Maybe it was just something that kind of bothered you or something that annoyed you or frustrated you or didn't sit well with you. You get the point. Maybe even it's something that legitimately hurts you. And it just kind of causes this rumbling within you where you just go, that doesn't really sit well with me. And then it kind of moves outside of you into the people around you. And I will say, as we'll see here in a moment, it could be a legitimate issue. It could just be you're easily annoyed with everything. Or it could be something that literally could be done better. We could be better than this. But for whatever reason it is, there's a rumbling that starts to take place. Now, when we have rumblings or murmurs, this discontent within us, the problem is that can eventually turn the corner and become an offense. It moves from something where it's more than just, I'm kind of bugged by this. Now it moves to something where, you know what? I'm offended about that. I really don't like that. And this offense gets down in our hearts, in our spirits, where it can begin to grow like a cancer and can begin to become a real problem. So these rumblings, these murmurs can transition into offense. Now, let me just say side note here. It's okay to disagree. You're not going to agree with everything that I say. You may not even like uh, the style and everything that we do, whether it's here at church or at work or within your family, in every area of your life. There's going to be things that bother you. There are going to be things that frustrate you and annoy you. There's going to be things that don't sit well with you. And there will be at times things that legitimately hurt you. Um, That's going to be part of your life for the rest of your life. It's just because we're human and we can sometimes get on each other's nerves. That just happens. It's going to be part of our lives until we go to heaven. And I just want you to know as the pastor, I will let you down. You're like, yeah, we already figured that one out, Pastor Adam. Thank you very much. There will be a time at some point or another, if it hasn't already happened, Rock Hills Church will disappoint you. There will be a time in your life, if you haven't figured this out, when your spouse will bug you, when your kids will get on your nerves. There will be a time in your life when you have a coworker that just drives you nuts. There will be times in your life when people who are closest to you hurt you, whether it's intentionally or unintentionally. Those things are going to happen in your life. And there will be those people in your life, for whatever reason that God has put them in your life, that just absolutely drive you nuts. 
right? There's going to be those people and those situations in those times in all of your lives. And as far as church goes, I've seen this being in ministry for 25 years. You know, there's, there's things that I don't agree with. There's things that I don't like. Why are we wasting our time, our money, or our focus on this when we could be doing this? You know, I, I wish when you spoke, Adam, you were funnier. I wish you were more serious. You know, I, w- I wish it would go deeper. I wish it wasn't so deep so I could understand it. I wish it was hotter. I wish it was colder. I could go on and on all day because I've heard it all. There are always going to be those things in our lives that just have potential to start rumbling within our hearts, within our spirits, where that rumble and that shake just starts to go, I don't really like that. And the danger comes in when we allow those rumbles to turn into whispers, to turn into emails or some texts that we're sending off, and all of a sudden, I'm offended. And then that turns into, I'm just not being fed anymore at this church. Or I've got a real problem with so-and-so or the way you do this. And then what begins to happen, because I've seen it over and over and over, we find a really good, sometimes we make it really spiritual reason to separate ourselves from the place that God has planted us. The rumbles that could be within us, just like the rumbles that were within Acts chapter 6, have the potential to cause offense within our hearts. And when we have offense, we're eventually going to have division. Because offense is eventually going to cause us to betray one another, to separate from one another. Proverbs eighteen nineteen says this, An offended friend is harder to win back than a fortified city. So back in those days, to protect the cities, they would build a wall around the city. No political jokes intended there, all right? But what they would do is they would build a wall, in other words, to keep the enemy out. The people that we want to separate ourselves from, we are going to build a wall to keep them out. And this scripture is telling us from Solomon's wisdom, once you become offended, you start laying those bricks down to separate yourself. And oftentimes, the people they were separating themselves from, they used to be in community with. But something happened, and they got offended, and they said, now we are going to separate ourselves. And he says, once you're offended, it's harder to win that friend back than it is to win back a fortified city. So we have this crucial moment here in the early church. There's some drama going on. For whatever reason, we'll look at the reason here in just a moment. But these people have some rumblings of discontent. And they have this opportunity in this moment to either become really bitter about the situation that's happening or to not be too cliche, they can become better. They can become a better church and a stronger church. So here's what I want you to get today. If I can put it in a phrase that will hopefully stick with you. Your setbacks can be your set-ups. In other words, the things, the rumblings within your life that have potential to set you back can actually be the very things that set you up for what God wants to do in your life 
next. And every single one of you are going to have setbacks that come through your job, through your marriage, through your friendships, whatever it is, maybe just the discontent in your own life. But you've got things that are ready to set you back. And God is saying, I can take those things and turn them around to actually set you up to be the person that I created you to be, for us to be the church that God creates us to be. So these rumblings in the, the early church face There are issues that we still face as a church today. And they have potential to either erode and divide the early church. They have potential to erode and divide us as a church today. Or they have potential to launch us into the next season of who we are as a church. And who you are as an individual. So we're going to take a look at what has caused them to be discontent. And I will say that this is a very legitimate issue that they're dealing with. But I will also say, whatever it is that is causing, causing rumbling in your heart is always a legitimate issue because it's your issue, right? So whether it's a big thing or a small thing, to you, it's a legitimate thing. But let's take a look at what they were, had this offense about. In the second part of verse 1, it says, The Greek-speaking believers complained about the Hebrew-speaking believers, saying their widows were being discriminated against in the daily distribution of food. So you have this coming together of people whose lives have been changed, who are sacrificing for one another, worshiping together, fellowshipping together. Some of those people were from right there in Jerusalem. And and they speak one language in one culture. But there were other people who were from outside Jerusalem that have also bought in and followed the message of Christ. And they are part of the church and they are from a different culture and a different language. And as this generosity is going forth each day, one group of people looks and says, you know what? That grandma over there got two biscuits on her plate. How come our grandma only gets one biscuit on her plate? And that may seem like, is that really a big deal? I mean, a big enough deal that it almost ended the church right here. Well, you could also look at it and say, you know what? You're giving privilege to a certain race of people. And we feel left out. We feel like you look down on us because we're not the same as you. Because we don't speak the same language as you or have the same culture as you. So it's a legitimate issue that we're facing. I know you guys can't imagine that anything would happen like that, right? I mean, we're still dealing with this today. Well, we've got a legitimate issue where we look and we go, we've got people who say, you don't look at us the same. You don't treat us the same. And is it a legitimate issue? It is. And we can look at it at the same time and go, it's just biscuits. You know, it's not that big of a deal, but it is a big deal. And I will say, I want the church as a whole. I hope the church, but specifically Rock Hills Church, that we always lead the way in how we love and serve one another especially those who are different from us. They may not look like us. They may not talk like us. They may not be from the same place or background that we are. But this should be a place where we say, come as you are, and we mean it. Come as you are, regardless of your background or your situation, where you come from or what you've been through. You are welcome in this place. And I want, I want this to be that kind of church. But this is the setback that they're facing. And you have to realize... The serving of these biscuits had the potential to stop the church. In this moment, it could have been like 
this, this side note in history where there was this guy who named Jesus, named Jesus who died. And then there was this short burst of a movement where people were, were doing all these radical things. And then they disagreed with one another and the movement came to an end. And that could be what history said right here. And it all happened over giving widows an amount of food. And one group of widows was getting more than another group of widows. But this is the reason that these rumblings started to shake this group of believers that were coming together. They started talking to one another and they start saying, I don't like that. And I feel like we're being slighted. And all of a sudden, there was this discontent that was this close to turning into an offense that separated the church. That like a rumbling of an earthquake that just cracked it open and separated it apart. So in this moment, it was time for either the church to separate or it was time for the leaders to say, what do we need to do? Come up with a solution and actually become a stronger church. It was time for the leadership to step up to the plate. Now, these leaders here that are about to come up with a solution, I want to rewind just a little bit because the leaders we're talking about are the apostles or the disciples. So these are the guys that have been following Jesus all around, and now they're leading the church, and now all of a sudden they have a food distribution issue that's causing a problem. But the good news is this is not the first food distribution issue that these guys had faced. If we go back just a few chapters We'll see a story about when Jesus fed the 5,000. Many of you are familiar with that story. Well, that was Jesus on the mountainside with the disciples saying, Hey, we need to feed all of these people. So he turns to his disciples and he says, Hey, why don't you guys take care of it? Make sure these people get food. And like you and I would, the disciples responded and said, That's impossible. There is no way that we can feed all of these people. And they even find the boy with the loaves and the fish. But still, it's impossible. Right? The problem was, and then they eventually saw the miracle where Jesus feeds everybody. In that moment, their viewpoint changed because up until then, they saw themselves as the manufacturer. And they said, We cannot manufacture food for all these people and make it happen. But Jesus taught them an important lesson when he fed 5,000. He was teaching them, You're not the manufacturer, you are the distributor. God is the manufacturer. So God's the one that manufactures the miracle taking place. You just need to be faithful to be a witness and share it with your neighbor to give away what God has given you. So here they are. They're again, it's a different food distribution situation, but it's still a food distribution situation. And now the apostles look at this and go, is this too much for God to handle? This is nothing at all. So let's just put a plan in place. We'll let God take care of it. We'll just be responsible on our end. So rather than letting the rumblings and the offense split the church in two, let's see how the apostles handled this crucial situation. So the twelve called a meeting of all the believers, and they said, we apostles should spend our time teaching the word of God and not running a food program. And so, brother, and so, brothers, select seven men who are well-respected and full of the spirit and wisdom, and we will give them this responsibility. Then the apostles can spend our time in prayer and teaching the word. 
So that's what they do. In verses 5 and 6, we see they select seven men. They pray over them. And they, this is basically the first deacons in the church. They say, guys, you are in charge of making sure we distribute. You're not in charge of manufacturing. Just distribute what God gives us to those around. And then we get to verse 7. And verse 7 is important because when we get to verse 7, Luke writes a summary statement. Now, Luke does this several times in the book of Luke. He also does this sometimes in Acts. But when he writes a summary statement, he's kind of packaging everything up in a couple of sentences that transitions us from one place to another place. And even though we're in the middle of Acts chapter 6, Verse 7 is a, is, a, is a summary statement that's going to move us from sort of one chapter within the same chapter to another chapter. Verse 7 says this, So God's message continued to spread. The, numbers, the number of believers increased in Jerusalem, and many of the Jewish priests were converted too. So there's so much right here in these two sentences where Luke sums up What's happening? And what we have to understand is that now Luke is not only summing up what happened in this situation, Luke is summing up what has happened from Acts chapter 1, verse 1, to now Acts chapter 6, verse 7. So he's saying this movement continues. The church is going to go on. It's not going to be split by this situation. And not only that, it is going to continue to multiply throughout Jerusalem. Remember, Jerusalem was the first step in what Jesus said, who we're supposed to reach. Jerusalem, Judea, Samaria, and the ends of the earth. And it also throws in there the Jewish priests, these guys that were really opposing them, all of a sudden the light bulbs are coming on. And they are now following after Christ too. So in verse 7, there's a whole lot right here. But what we have to see is that Jerusalem has now been accomplished. And God's still going to continue to move in Jerusalem. But now, after verse 7, we get to move on to Judea and Samaria. So God has taken this situation within seven verses where the church is about to split right down the middle and it could have been the end of everything. And he has now turned it around to not only is it going to continue, but now it moves to the next level of what God intended for it to be. Now we're going to step out of Jerusalem and we're going to move to Judea and Samaria and the ends of the earth. What could have been a setback for the church, has now just set them up to be the church that God created them to be. The church is now equipped to move into its next season. So what about you? What are the rumblings within your life? Are there things in your life, in your spirit, that just, they annoy you, they frustrate you, or maybe they, they wounded you? There are some things in your life that are rumblings, that have potential, or maybe they already have moved to the place of being offense, where now you've divided yourself from people or groups of people that you were once connected with, that God had intertwined you together with. Have you been disappointed where others haven't met your expectations, or maybe you haven't met their expectations? Or maybe the rumblings for you are just yourself. Maybe you're discontent with who you are 
and the rumblings are just in your own head. Well, I want to encourage you today. Whether the rumblings in your life are because people are frustrated with you, you're frustrated with yourself, or you're frustrated with your other people in your life, I want to encourage you with what we see here in Acts chapter 6, that your pain can lead to your progress. Or your pain can destroy you. You can take the pain that's going on in your life and say, God, would you use this to help me become the person that I'm supposed to be? Your pain can lead to your progress. Your hurt can lead to your hope. Your fear can lead to your faith. God can take those wounds, those hurts, those rumblings within your life right now and help you to become the person that God has created you to be. Let the hard times in your life make you better. I thoroughly believe with all my heart, because I've seen it over and over again, that God does not waste your pain. The things that hurt you and wound you, the tears that you've cried, they are not wasted. God knows about those and he wants to use those to shape you into the person that he created you to be. He didn't necessarily cause those, but he wants to take them and allow those things to help you become even better. Romans 8, 28 says, And now we know that God causes everything to work together for the good of those who love God and are called according to His purpose for them. Your setback can be your set up. The things that are rumbling in your life right now don't have to bring you down. They can actually push you forward. You have to release yourself from having to be the manufacturer trying to cause God's work to happen in your life. And you simply need to surrender and say, God, I lay the rumblings at your feet and I want just to be the distributor. God, would you take my pain? Would you take my hurts? I won't be offended. I lay it all at your feet. And would you help me to grow into the person that you created me to be? Are there rumblings of discontent that are holding you back from being the person that God has called you to be. I do want to throw in just a side note there too. If you have rumblings like within this scripture that we see within the church where you feel like, man, there's just something bothering me here even at Rock Hills, you're always welcome to come and talk to us. That's, that's part of the deal here is we see we need to work it out and be a body together. So if, you, if you've got issues where you're like, Man, this just bothers me. I need to get it off my chest and need to work through it. You are always welcome to come and talk to us. But are there rumblings in your life that are causing you to be discontent in the church, in your family, as an employee, as a neighbor? Are there rumblings of discontent within your life? I want to challenge you, and I challenge myself as well. I want to challenge us on several things that we can pull out of this text and live it out in our lives. How can we turn the setbacks in in our lives into setups? So it's not just a catchy little phrase that Adam's saying today, but we can actually live these things out. First thing I want us to do is refuse to be offended. That's a lot easier to say than do. I heard somebody say this probably a dozen years ago, and it has just stuck with me ever since. And when I face things in my life, I have a legitimate reason to be offended about. My spirit reminds me, Adam, refuse to be offended. Now, that doesn't mean that things aren't going to bother you. It doesn't mean that things aren't going to hurt you. But what it does mean is I am not going to let this get into my heart and my spirit and build a wall between us. I'm going to refuse to be offended. 
In other words, we may have to talk it out and figure out how we address it, but I will not be offended about this. And I know some of you are thinking, ooh, what can I do to offend him now? You know, just to test him, right? But let's all try to do this. Refuse to be offended. The second thing that I want us to do is let's intentionally love and serve those who are different than we are. If we can't do this, we can't be the church. The church is all about loving those who are different than you are. Different backgrounds, different places. Like I said, if we can't do that as the church, then we're not being the church. They may, they may be pe- people who are just different than you. They may be those people who are just flat out difficult to be around. But as the church and as believers, we need to lead the way in saying, this is how we love and serve one another. So to turn our setbacks into setups, let's refuse to be offended. Let's be intentional about loving and serving people who are different than we are. And number three, let's stay focused on our purpose. We see with the apostles, they they realized that there was a problem, but they said, that's not a problem for me to fix. That's not a problem for me to go and address. You know what I need to do? I need to stay focused on teaching people about what is happening here, teaching the Word of God. So they knew what they were supposed to do, and they stayed in their lane. You have a purpose for your life. In order for your setbacks to become setups, we need to refuse to be offended. We need to intentionally love people who are different than us, and we need to stay focused on what we are supposed to be doing. And lastly, as we do that, we need to help others discover what they are supposed to be doing. As the apostles stayed focused on what they were doing, they equipped and empowered seven other guys to take care of the problem. Because they did those things, the church turned the corner from being a movement of God that almost fell apart to a movement of God that was unstoppable and is still going in 2017 all around the ends of the earth. So what is it for you? What is it in your life that you need to say, God, I need to give this to you? I know for Rock Hills, I'll just speak to us as a church. I want us to be living in the purpose that God has for us. I want to see us doing this together. And in many ways, I feel like we're at a place of a shift as well. And just in the life of our church, where we could either say, okay, here we are for another week. Or we could say, God, would you take us on the next step? of who we are supposed to be as a church. So as your pastor, I want you to know I'm pressing into God. I'm praying and saying, God, what do you want us to be? How do you want us to do it? How do we love and serve others? Because I want to see us just as they moved from Jerusalem onto Judea and Samaria. I want to see our church take the next step in who we are supposed to be. I believe that our setbacks can be our setups. I believe that together we can get even better and stronger, and have a greater influence in our culture, in our city. So verse 7 sums up what has happened so far, and then we move into the end of Acts chapter 6, and we meet this guy named Stephen. The thing I love about Stephen is every time it talks about him, it says, Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit, or a man full of faith and grace in God's power. It's almost like it was his last name. He was so well known for it. There was something so amazing about him that it's always Stephen, a man full of the Holy Spirit. So next week, 
we're going to see a little bit more about Stephen. I want you to be here next week uh, because Stephen is going to get stoned next week. And for all of those of you who just thought about that the wrong way, you definitely need to be in church next week, all right? No, Stephen is a great story, and I want you guys to be back to hear his account next week. But let's pray together. Dear Heavenly Father, I thank you, Lord, that you don't give up on us in times, Father, when you should have, when we've been stubborn and frustrating to you and to others. Father, you haven't given up on us. Lord, I pray that you would deal with the offenses within our heart. Lord, that we would refuse to be offended, that we would refuse to divide what you have put together and we would refuse to divide the church. But Father, that we would press into you that you would move in an even more mighty way within us. And Father, even as I pray that, I can't uh, go beyond the fact of understanding that I have, I have potentially offended you because of my sin, but you refuse to be offended, and you sent Jesus in my place to take my place. And Lord, you've done that for every one of us. And if there's anybody here today that you need to be forgiven of your offenses towards God because we've all sinned. We've all fallen short of God's measure. All we have to do is simply surrender to God. Maybe you need to take that step today and just in your own words, in your own heart, surrender who you are to God. Father, we thank you that you sent Jesus Christ to take our place, to forgive us of our sins, to make us a new creation. Lord, we love you. Help us to become the church and the believers that you have created us to be. In Jesus' name, amen.